Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Don't forget, verse 2, to be hospitable. Literally it says, don't forget to love strangers. <laughs> Let brotherly love continue. God has built this tremendous framework of the Christian life in the first 12 chapters of Hebrews. And he says... You need to know Christ. You need to endure His maturing. And then he says, here's a bunch of practical ways for you to live it out. Number one, let brotherly love continue. That sister would not stand here today if it wasn't for the brotherly love of the people who were here 20 years ago or 30 years ago or whenever it was. And there are people here today who need your demonstration of brotherly love. The first thing we need to understand about brotherly love is that you have the capacity to love. Some of you, we like to call very loving people, and some of you are prickly. And you know who you are. You know what? You all have the same capacity for love. Some of you call yourselves shy. Some of you call yourself outgoing, introvert, extrovert. You all have the same capacity for love. Where does the capacity to love come from? Romans 5.5 says this, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Has the Holy Spirit been given to you? Well, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, He was given to you, and that means the love of God has been poured into your heart, and God wants you to pour it out. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit is, what's the number one thing in that list, class? Love. If the Holy Spirit is active in your life, and He is if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the capacity to love as Christ loved. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life, that is, from being an unbeliever to a believer, because we love the brethren. If you really don't care for other Christians... And if you could just live all of your life without them, you may not know the Lord. You need to take a good hard look inside. Because God says He has poured His love into us and that our love for one another is an evidence of our connection with Him through faith. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul told the Thessalonians, you are taught by God to love one another. I take that to mean that God prompts us. I know when God's prompting me to do something, 
and I know when I say no. And I walk away thinking, you know, I think I just passed up an opportunity. We have the capacity for love. The third thing that we understand about our love as we begin today is this. The command to love is critical. Turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is uh, the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's where Jesus gave the opening manifesto of, of his way. And he says in verse 43, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Could I just take a little side road there for a minute? There's two categories of people in your life. Ones you like and ones you don't like. You would never call, you're, you're much too nice to call those people enemies. But let's just say two categories. Because sometimes we like to create a third category, which is people I'm not obligated to do anything with. I don't hate them. I just don't like them. They're the third category. Well, God says, no, there's only two categories of people in your life. People you like, people you don't like. You shall love your enemies. You say, well, they're not my enemy. Well, then you still got to love them, because God says you got to love all the rest of the people, too. You, you get the point? You're obligated. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You want to put feet to forgiveness? Do those things. If you have forgiven somebody of a wrong, you should be blessing them. You should be doing good to them. You should be praying for them. Verse 45, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. God says, if you don't do this, you're not the son of the Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you only greet your brethren, or let me paraphrase that, your friends, what do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What does he say here, Christian? He says, you have an obligation to love everybody, friend or foe. If you are only loving those people who are lovable, you are just like an unbeliever. Bottom line. He, the tax collector was the most despised category of human life to a Jewish person in Israel at the time of Christ. You could substitute whatever, whatever you think is a low form of human life. You know, drug dealers. Say, aren't the drug, that's the way the drug dealers act. They pat each other on the back. Say, you're no better than that. God says we should follow love because it is an indicator of our supernatural birth. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, here is how men will know you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. 
In, John, in 1 John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God. He who does not love does not know God. Does that leave any space for a Christian to somehow say, I am not obligated to love that person? No, there's no space for that. Now, obviously, there's some people that you're going to struggle to love. Some of them are going to be people that have hurt you. Some of them are going to be people that just aren't like you. But God says, friends, I've put love in your heart, and I expect you to use it. In particular, in this arena we call the body of Christ, you are obligated to love one another. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 and understand the second broad point here, which is the impediments or the roadblocks to love. We just talked about the, initi the initiation of love. God initiated love by putting it in us and commanding us to use it. Now, what are the things loving? Well, in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3, it, it's written in such a way that it infers some a clear problem. First of all, he says, let brotherly love continue. That clearly implies that God sets it loose in our life and that all we have to do is let it continue. We can stop it. We can't start it of ourselves, but we can stop it from acting. And then he, in verse 2, he says, do not forget to entertain strangers or to be hospitable. This, the same word is sometimes tra uh, translated hospitable or hospitality. It literally means the love of strangers. That's the literal translation of the compound word. But the thing we understand here right now is that God says don't forget, which means we have a propensity to forget. We get so busy with some other things. And then in verse 3, he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Remember those who are mistreated. The impediments to love, first of all, is, is what I would call the natural path of laziness. I have to work to remember. I have to work to let it happen. I have to work to not forget. You know what's real easy for me to do? To sit in the Lazy Boy and eat cake and watch TV. That's easy. All I got to do is make a cake, then I can sit down and watch TV and eat cake. That's what I did last night. It was wonderful. Cake was marginal, but it was wonderful to sit there and eat it. But I have to give effort to love people. At the very least, the effort of spending time with them. Doesn't mean that it's unhappy, but it takes effort. 2 Peter 1.7 says that we should be diligent to add to our faith. And there's a whole list of things there, and one of them is brotherly kindness or brotherly love. We should be diligent to add. If you do what comes naturally... You will love a few people a little. I mean, all of us that are married want to love our husband or wife to some extent, sometimes more than others. We all want to love our kids. That's, that's natural. Are you going to do what comes natural? One of the biggest confusions in Christianity is people will say this, I'm waiting for God to move me. I'm waiting for God to tell me who to love or to show me who to love. You know what? God already told you. Everybody. 
Now, that's it. If you do what's natural, it's lazy. The second thing that will impede us is, is self-centeredness. Turn to 1 John 3. He says basically here, you know, let these things happen. Don't forget. Remember. In 1 John 3, he lays it out in pretty clear terms, starting in verse 16. Here's a little memory tool for you. 1 John 3.16 goes with John 3.16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now don't read that too fast. He laid down his life for us. The greatest thing this movie, The Passion of Christ, is doing for Christians is giving them an appreciation of what Jesus went through. He laid down his life, but it didn't happen just like that. Tremendous suffering he went through. And he says, look, he did this for you to save your soul and to give you an example to follow. Now you lay down your lives for the brethren, your life for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Jesus has given us the example of love, and he says that example is not self-centered. It is others-centered. Why do we shut our heart up? Well, a few little phrases like this. I'm busy. Is there anybody here who's not busy? Hey, here's one. I'm afraid of rejection. I knew a lady in, in one of our churches years ago. We, we were talking about this whole thing of having people over to the house and you know, being hospitable and whatnot. And she said, nobody would want to come to our house. Now, this, this lady and her husband were leaders in the church. They were lovely people. They were professional people. They had a lovely house. The kind of house I'd like to live in. Nobody would want to come to my house. Do you know, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I bet most of us would raise our hand if we'd say, you know, no, who'd want to come to my house? I, if I ask this question, who'd like to go to somebody else's house today? I bet you everybody else would raise their hands. We're afraid of rejection. How about this? I'm afraid of disapproval. I knew a lady one time that was preparing to have some guest singers stay in her house. She scrubbed the grout on her tiles on her shower with a toothbrush to make sure that it was perfect. And after she had those people over, I guess it was one of the first times she'd done something like that, she talked about it and she said, you know that really didn't matter. None of that stuff mattered. What, we just connected and had a great time together. Hey, you know what? None of us has a perfect house. None of us have a perfect house. And if you're going to wait till your house is perfect, till you have somebody over, they're going to be coming over for your funeral. Okay? The love of brothers and sisters in the body for some is like the presence of a police officer, unwanted until personally needed. <laughs> the expression of love is to be our goal not the reception of love. Here's a question for you. When you walked in today, were you thinking, I hope people notice me? I hope people shake my hand? I hope somebody will bear my burden? 
Or were you thinking, I wonder who there is today that I can reach out to. I wonder who needs my ministry today. Now, God willing, your needs should be met. At the same time, you're meeting other people's needs. But what was Jesus focused on? And what does he tell us in Philippians 2 to be focused on? Ourselves? Do you find God saying, oh man, you've got to take care of yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. No, he says, you take care of others and I'll take care of you. Isn't that what Renee told us this morning? She says, I need somebody to love me. God said, uh, hello, I'm here. And all of a sudden the lights went on. She says, yeah, God loves me. And so I can go and love other people. Oh, what a great privilege is ours, Christian. The self-centered path is the, is the it's, uh, it's doomed. It's doomed. It won't work. The third thing that will keep us from loving others is the insensitive path. Look back with me at Hebrews 3. God says something really, really poignant in verse 3 here. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Now, I'm sure these prisoners he's talking about were martyrs or people who were imprisoned for their faith. He says, imagine yourself chained in prison. He said, use that to help remember. He says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Remember those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. He's not talking about the body of Christ there. He's talking about your skin. And he says, when you're thinking about somebody and trying to love them, don't be insensitive to their plight. Imagine yourself in their place. You're in the body. They're in the body. Imagine what it would be like to be there. One commentator said this, a capacity for putting oneself in another's place and exercising imaginative sympathy is part of true love. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in jail? Some of you can't, and that's good. I've been to visit a few jails. I've read a book about a guy in jail, and it's helped me. I mean, I don't even like to go visit in the jail. I've gone now to visit in a jail where I actually go into the jail. And I'm locked in behind two or three sets of doors and whatnot. I, I don't care for it. Can I imagine a little bit about what it would be like for a guy to be in jail? Yeah, I, I can imagine a little bit, but I get to leave in an hour. Use your holy imagination and say, God, help me to see the needs of people. Youth ministry, tremendous place where we need to imagine people's needs. Renee says here, me and my sisters went through things that are unspeakable. We need, to, we need to sit and prayerfully ask God to give us an imaginative empathy for people so that we might be moved to care for them. See, when you suffer something bad, you want people to care for you. So now use that imagination, use that experience and say, I wonder what it's like for these people. Don't be insensitive. One author said this, instead of seeing our own troubles as an excuse 
for not helping, we should see them as an incentive for being more helpful. Our own troubles should make us more sensitive, hospitable, and loving, not less. Well, how do we implement this kind of brotherly love? Let's talk about the positive side of this for a while. In Hebrews 13, there are four categories of people mentioned, I believe, that God wants us to love. And, and I, God's not trying to limit. He's trying to give us an example. First of all, he says, let brotherly love continue. And that literally means brotherly love. Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphos. That's where that word comes from, brotherly love. The city of brotherly love. I understand that's not completely true in Philadelphia. Close. So... The first category of people, if we would be aware of who we should be loving and how we should love, brothers. You have a primary responsibility to love the people in this room and the rest of the people who don't happen to be here today. That is the reason we publish this list. We've published it in a little different form just to make it easier to fold and stick in your bulletin this time. We usually have it on multiple pages. This is our best attempt, and it's always out of date as soon as we hit the print button but it's our best attempt to list everybody who's currently attending church. Okay? And, and, and as Chuck said, if your name's not there and you consider yourself to be attending here, please come tell me and I will be more than happy to add you on it. And do you see what it says right at the top there? Prayer list. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Be aware of your brothers. If you added this up, there's over 200 people here. Probably 250 or so people. Be aware of your brothers. And then he says... Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. Now again, this could be, in, this could be in, uh, translated the love of strangers, but it's most commonly a reference to hospitality. Don't forget to be hospitable, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Hospitality. In the day the Bible was written, you couldn't go online to Priceline and make a reservation for a three-star for 40 bucks for when you're going to go to Seattle tomorrow, okay? You'd just travel and maybe you just hope you'd meet somebody or find somebody. Certainly there were some what we would call hotels and that sort of thing, but not nearly like today. And especially for Christians to have an opportunity to stay in a place that was morally safe as well as physically safe, there was a necessity for Christians to entertain Christians in what we would call putting them up overnight. Okay? Love the strangers. Show hospitality. I think God used this word that literally means the love of strangers to teach us something. If I were to ask you how many of these people you know, it would be a short list. If I followed the normal sociological statistics, I would say you could list about 40 of these people that you know. You know what that means? you have an opportunity to practice the love of strangers right here. And you're thinking, boy, yeah, that guy over there, he's really strange, you know. That guy over there. No. Hospitality toward people you do not know. Could I suggest an area of hospitality that we might be called upon someday and that I would just plant this in your mind right now? Uh, at the conference that Jeff and I were at back east, we were talking about how to care for people in, in all kinds of situations. And there are times when people are in such extreme personal circumstance that they need to be somewhere other than their home. Sometimes those people get institutionalized. 
But that's not what they need. They need brotherly love, and they need somebody to care for them while they recover from whatever it is that's been troubling them or are protected from what's been troubling them. And this, one of my teachers that was there who was a really sharp young guy, he said, we, we are working on the concept of radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. In other words, going way beyond the norm and saying, how could I care for this sister or this brother who is in an extreme depth of their life and they need to be cared for? Could I bring them into my home and cook their meals and wash their clothes and provide for them while they recover from whatever it is that's troubling them? Or should I say, I'm busy, go to the hospital, become dependent on the whole secular treatment routine. Radical hospitality. Wow. Third category of people mentioned here are martyrs. Those who are imprisoned. God clearly in 1 Peter says, look, if you go to jail for doing wrong, don't complain, don't whine. Dare I say that God says we don't need to be that sympathetic. People need to suffer their punishment. We need to care for them. But here he's talking about people who have suffering for Jesus and they're in jail. The, probably the biggest form this should take for us right now is praying for people in persecuted countries. Being aware that in, in Africa, in China, uh, in Russia to some extent still, Actually, the, the door of openness toward religion in Russia is closing. It is not opening further, if you don't know that. We need to be praying for people who, who, who may be imprisoned for their faith. And then the last category of people mentioned is what I would call strugglers. Those who are mistreated. Earlier that word is translated tormented. That's kind of what I was just talking about. One personal example for me would... would would revolve around a young person who many years ago called up one night and said, can I come stay at your house tonight, my wife and I? And I said, if it's okay with your parents, it's okay with us. And she got there and she said, my parents are having a pot party and I don't want to be there. She went on to talk about how she was jealous of the kids in the youth group that had normal families. I wished I could have had her preach it to the youth group especially to those who don't appreciate their parents. There are folks who are struggling. God says, love them. Love the brothers, love the strangers, love the martyrs, love the strugglers. Turn with me to Romans 12.10. This is the verse that I'm going to commend to you today as a, a verse for meditation and memory this week. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Again, are you coming to church saying, God, show me some needs to meet. Show me what you want me to do today, this week. That's what God wants us to do. Now, here's a, here's a little conundrum, or a little, little puzzle. If everybody in the church is caring for everybody else, don't you think you're going to get cared for? Isn't that right? Wouldn't that be the craziest thing if, if everybody said, can I do something for you today? Can I, do something? Can, I, can I help you out? Can I take you to dinner? And everybody in the church is caring for everybody. You're going to get cared for. Now, I know that's not the case. 
But what I'm after today is getting a few more of you on board. And getting a few more of you to reach out beyond yourself. We need to be aware. And the way we're going to be aware of needs is in honor, giving preference to one another. We've got some great teenagers in our church. But I know that that high school up there has got 1,500 kids, and I'm betting there's more than one or two that are really troubled. And do you know what? If our kids do their job and a bunch of those kids come in here, you know what your first reaction is going to be? These kids are making a mess. I tell you what, we got to make a policy. We got to do something about it. And when that happens, go, oh, brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Love the strangers. See, prefer somebody else, not you. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the Internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church P.O. Box 69 Ferndale, Washington 98248 Telephone 360-384-3111 We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.